Hello, and welcome back to Sunday Sermons, the official podcast of FMBC Houston. I'm Pastor Andrew Johnson, the senior pastor at FMBC Houston. We're so glad that you chose to download and listen to this episode. If you're ever in the Houston area, join us for Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Crest. Good morning. I have no doubt that the Lord is moving in our worship service this morning. Amen. And uh, that's what we came here. Father, we came here for you. We came here to, uh, to see you move, to hear your word, to sense your presence. Uh, we came here, Lord, because we desire to worship you. You're worthy of our worship. And Father, we come to you every time in desperate need. We need you, Lord. We need you to move on our behalf. We need you to fill us with your power. We need you to restore in us the joy of our salvation, to give us, uh, just fill us with your love. Equip us for the calling that's on our lives, Lord. There's so many things we come into your presence in need of, and you will provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory. So, Father, I pray for sons and daughters as they're listening to your word. Uh, They're just not listening to something to pass the time, but their heart is open. Their mind is open to receive direction from your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, We've been walking through the book of Acts, and I'm excited today to be back. Uh, We're going to start chapter 2, but let me catch you up. As we walk through chapter 1, we came to the realization, God still moves. I thought y'all would have been louder on that one. I I mean, I got theatric with it, too. I said, God still moves. Man, we, we want to believe in the living God. That's the God of our faith, the living God, the God who still moves, who still speaks. In fact, in, in, in Acts it says, in him we live and breathe and have our being. That we are, are, are alive and our life is directly tied to the source of life, the living God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is really, it comes after the gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and it is the Acts of the Apostles, but maybe more, more carefully stated, you'd say it's the Acts of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles. And eventually what started with a small group broke out into a movement across the known world. And it's a movement that is still impacting and transforming this earth today. God still moves. We walked into chapter one and said, well, not only does God move, but God still moves stuck people. So the disciples just went through this this roller coaster ride of three years living and walking with the Son of God in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. They walked and learned from Jesus. And after Jesus lived, he then laid down his life and died for them. Greatest tragedy, three days later became the greatest triumph because Christ rose from the grave. And then Pentecost comes, and 40 days later, not only did he rise from the grave, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And as he's being lifted up, uh, the disciples are gathered around, and they're standing and watching, and these angelic presences come and and say, uh, men of Galilee, what are you doing? Why are you stuck staring in the sky? The same God that ascended will descend in the same way. Basically, God's got that covered. You go. 
Go to Jerusalem. Stop being stuck watching and waiting. Go and wait where I'm telling you, and you will be filled with power. And we started to ask ourselves, am I stuck? I had to ask myself before I started preaching to y'all, where am I stuck? Have I received the calling of God on my life? Am I waiting for God to do his thing and not realizing he's inviting me to participate in his thing? And ultimately, last week, we talked about the fact that, yes, God still moves. Yes, God moves stuck people. But there's some things that happen before God moves. Before God moves, we saw that his people pray. Amen? Does he need us to pray? No, God's not limited. This is just how he has revealed himself, how he wills to, 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 to reveal himself. That there, The great movements of God have always come on the heels of a people who repent and turn and pray. A desperation saying, God, we desire you. We need you. We want you. Beyond that, we say before God moves, uh, he heals some old wounds. That whole Judas situation was still weighing on the hearts of the disciples. One of their own, their buddy, their close friend had turned his back and betrayed them. And it was stopping them from moving on. And before they could move forward, God had to deal with the wounds through the power of healing, through the testimony of Peter that, hey, what happened had to happen, but we must move on. Last but not least, yes, uh, God, before God moves, his people pray. Before God moves, uh, he heals old wounds. And then finally, before God moves, if you can't tell, I'm trying to get this brain to work right now. I got it. Oh, before God moves, he has the right people in the right place. God is not just going to move through you as an individual, but the movement of God has always been a team sport. And what we seem as being like, God, what's up with your timeline? We're waiting. We're getting impatient. We're tired of waiting. Uh, you may not see him moving specifically in your life right now, but first of all, he's always moving. And second of all, he may be rearranging the pieces around you, the people who God wants to be in the right place at the right time for a season such as this so that he moves not just through the me, myself, and I, but through the we and through the us and through the family of God, the community of faith. So now we find ourselves in the upper room, and uh, every time I say that, I think about the movie Life. It's not rated uh, for children, so don't watch that, but uh, the upper room, Acts chapter 2. If you will, please stand in honor of reading God's word. If you can, forget all I just said, and let's just move right on into Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. That's a whole lot of folks there. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they must be filled with new wine. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains eternal. You may be seated. This is a divine moment in the entire history of redemption. If you and I had such a thing as a time machine, we could go back to certain divine moments. We could go back to the moment of creation where God spoke, let there be light, and there was. We could go back into that moment where God picked up a handful of dust and breathed the breath of life into them. His spirit filled them, and suddenly uh, human beings were created in the image of God. That was a divine moment in God's redemptive history. We could go back to that moment where Eve and Adam were deceived and fell under the lie that God was somehow holding out on them, and God in his grace covered them with mercy and, and began the story of the fall, but ultimately redemption. We could go back. We could go back to a lot of stories, Noah and the flood. We could go back to Moses and the Red Sea. But Going back to these, I call them to attention because there's lots of events through history, but there's several key moments that they define God's redemptive story. If you don't get this, you miss out on what God's doing. And in this moment, God comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Father who created the world sent Jesus Christ to redeem and save that world. And now after the death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit is being given not just to come to the earth, but to come and dwell inside of God's people. Something happened. I uh, got a, I got a, text message a couple years ago, something happened in my small town that apparently I talk about too much, but you know, it's just my thing. So um, it wasn't quite a divine moment, but on the, uh, we have like two stoplights in my hometown and there was a train coming through. Not something you're unfamiliar with in Denver Harbor. Uh, my father-in-law said, what's that music playing? I said, that's not music. That's the sound of screeching steel. That's just brakes. The train is coming through. And there was a train coming through. Now, in the city of Houston, it has to slow down. In small town, it just flies. I mean, it goes 
fast and loud. They think if they make it louder, that'll make it safer. So you know, get out of the way, fast train coming through. And as they were coming through, one of these 18-wheelers pulled through our little town, probably stopped off at Bucky's or whatever he was doing. And then as he's going through the red light, uh, the green light was there, the arms were coming down, and behind him is one of these like uh, 80-foot propellers that goes on the, uh, what are those things called, the wind turbines? And so here it is, my viral video, I catch, I see, I'm watching as the uh, 18-wheeler pulls through town. That, that train is starting, you can hear it, toot, toot, it's coming down, and you just know it. This don't go viral for this to work out well, you know. Something's about to go wrong. And surely enough, as it's pulling through that last corner clips and that whole 18-wheeler gets dragged, nobody was hurt, by the way, but except that propeller, it got destroyed. There was a sound unlike anything you can imagine, and suddenly our little town got a little bit of notoriety for like 15 minutes. Why, why do I mention that? Because sometimes certain things happen that you just got to tell the story. That may not be one of them for you, but it's the best I had, so... I don't got a lot going on. So so, something happens that's out of the ordinary. But what I described was something that you could imagine happening because it's humanly possible. Logically, that's not uh, uh, impossible. What we're describing here in the Scripture today, what God's Word tells us, is a miracle happened. And not just any miracle, because there's a lot of miracles in the pages of Scripture, but this is a defining miracle that would lay the groundwork for the life of the church moving forward forward. After the day of Pentecost, the church of Jesus Christ will never be the same. Something happened. And just two paragraphs, really that first paragraph, four verses, describes something that happened. And I just wish I I, I love to hear the words of Scripture, but I need the Holy Spirit to give me some imagination to imagine what was it like when this happened? A divine intrusion. Heaven broke through the veil and touched earth. There, look at what it says in the scripture. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, say together, in one place. We already got, if you go back to chapter one, it says there was about 120 of them gathered together. That's how they, they picked out the last two disciples, put them before the Spirit of God and cast lots, and now sudden Matthias replaces Judas. The Bible says there was about 120 of them there, and with 120 people gathered in an upper room, we can go back to history and say that they didn't have a house, by the way, that had like room for 100. I don't have a house that has room for 120 people in the upper room. It was probably within the temple courts that this was happening. If you geek out about that stuff, you know, just something for you to know there. As they're gathered in the, in the temple courts in the upper room, there came, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Anytime the Bible says like a is us trying to describe something to you that, have you ever seen something that's like, man, I'm going to have a hard time telling people what I'm watching right now. I'm trying to use language. I'm trying to use words to describe something I've never seen before, much less ever described before. There came a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Something happened. 
It was not just something that was the mental uh, uh, persuasion of someone. It, it, it was not something that we all felt an emotional um, connection. There was something happening that was metaphysical, beyond the material. Something divine happened. And it, it, it came with a sound. Trying to describe sound is like trying to describe color to a blind person. I, I can't use words that could get that into your spirit for you to understand. You just have to think about the strongest rushing wind you've ever heard and say it was kind of something like that, but also which means it wasn't exactly that. Something like that. And it filled the entire house. Well, what do you mean? You can just read past that and say, well, I know what that means. Do you really? It says a sound filled the whole entire house. Eyewitness account that the divine spirit of God was entering into our world and it did so in a particular time, in a particular place, and it made a loud sound and that sound filled the room. And the Bible says not only was there sounds, but there were sights. There was divided tongues as of fire, like a mighty rushing wind and as of fire. Once again, it was kind of like there was these, I guess, like flames that landed on people, like this emanating beams of light or heat, something metaphysical. You could see it. Something came in the room and then started to rest on each person. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of this, it just looks like a little bitty uh, little candle fire on, on their head or something, right? Uh, but, but I think those pictures are just doing their best to get something right that's kind of hard to get. It's like flames begin to emanate off of each person. It rested upon each person. So there was a sound, and there was a sight, and then all of a sudden it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues. They opened their mouth. What came in the room and came upon them was not just in the room or on their shoulders, but began to fill them from the inside out. And as it came out, it came out with another sound. The sound of tongues or languages or, or, or speech that they did not know. Brothers and sisters, there are certain things that happen in our life in which God moves in a moment. I could talk to you about my faith and how he's been moving my whole life. I can tell you how he's grown me up during my childhood or my early adulthood or what it's been like to get married. You you can see the process, right, of how God moves in your life. You can see how you've learned and grown in development. You see how God moves in a community or a family and say, man, generally over time, you can step back and say, wow, God's been at work. But sometimes God moves in a moment. Paul was on the road to Damascus. Paul, the the persecutor of the church, known as Saul, he was riding to go arrest and persecute some more Christians. And the Bible says in a moment, a bright light shined and he fell off and scales were on his eyes. He fell as though he were dead, was struck off of his horse. In a moment, God can do some miraculous things. There was a moment in which some shepherds were gathered watching after their sheep outside of this little city called Bethlehem, and there there came in a moment an angel 
like a divine, uh, extra, uh, unbelievable uh, being came down. The Bible says that in that moment, they were all shaken with fear as though dead. And the angel said, fear not. God moves in moments. There's a blind beggar on a street. And the voice of Jesus is heard. And the blind beggar says, son of David, have mercy on me. They say, shut up, man. Leave Jesus alone. He's trying to do his own thing. And he would not be quiet. Son of David, have mercy on me. And in a moment, the power of God came through Jesus of Nazareth and healed that body. God moves in a moment. This happened in a prayer meeting. What's amazing about the biblical pictures of prayer meetings, we treat prayer meetings like shopping trips. You load up to HEB, that's my store. I'll go to Fiesta if I have to, but we'll go to HEB. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. We'll go to HEB, you know, gather for a prayer meeting because we come looking for and needing for God to to meet certain needs. And that's good. He does that. And there, there, there's time and place for that. A lot of times, biblically, what prayer meetings look like is worship meetings. Because what they're actually doing is not asking, they're praising. And what's amazing is that even if you come gathered just to praise the goodness of God, while you're saying how good he is, he starts to manifest the things that you need. Amen? It's in the middle of praising that bodies can be healed. It's in the middle of praising that minds can be regenerated. It's in the middle of praising that, 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 that bodies can, that, that souls can be saved, that addictions can be broken. God moves in moments. And in the middle of a prayer meeting, they're gathered at a uniquely strategic location. Why is it strategic? Because it's Pentecost. By the way, Pentecost was not a distinctly Christian holiday. It was a Jewish holiday. But because it happened at that particular time, God had gathered faithful Jews from every nation. There was a diverse gathering that just happened to be in town. I just don't think it was a coincidence that God gathered all the nations at a particular, a particular time in a particular place. And as God's people were sitting there and seeking, God moves. Have you ever seen God move in a moment in your life? Now I have to learn, early me wanted every moment to be a moment. Now I know that not every moment is a moment. But I have had moments in which undeniably God moved. I am gripping this pulpit and preaching this word because when I was 13 years old, I had a dream. And in a moment, God moved in my life. And when I woke up in from that dream, I knew that my life would never be the same There was a moment in my life in 2013 when I was new to this church, dumb kid that knew nothing. I know just a little bit more, but still close to nothing. And my mom had a tumor the size of a tennis ball in her brain. And before the operation, we gathered to pray, but also to potentially say our last words to mom. But I'm telling you that my God, my God still moves in a moment, and my mom is alive today.
There have been moments when I was praying with people when demonic spirits begin to rise, stuff that I didn't even know I believed in until I was looking it eye to eye, and the power of the Holy Spirit moved to cast out demons, and there was a physical transformation in one who was once a vessel of darkness now being filled with the light of God. God moves in moments of deliverance. He moves in healing of bodies. He moves in sending out of saints on missions. He goes, he moves in protection when demonic forces are all around that you can call on the name of Jesus and darkness has to flee. He sat with me in some of the deepest moments of depression and darkness where I was losing all hope and yet he sat there and we didn't say a lot, but he just sat with me so that I could see the light that that darkness may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God moves in moments. When I was on my last dime, I don't know if y'all ever got a text from Chase. It sounds something like this, insufficient fun fee. And God shows up and provided for me. Has God ever moved in your life? There are divine moments in which God is not just trying to do magic party tricks for you. He is revealing that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and he's moving in and through your life. I'm telling you, God can do miracles. He does one in this story, but it's ultimately the foundation whereby that God that seems far off is actually now coming to dwell inside of his people, that in us the power of the Holy Spirit can move and have dominion on the earth. So at this point of the story, there's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There's something that looks like fire resting upon them. And then after what is God moving in a moment, suddenly something starts to happen in the disciples. The the second point I want to make, first point is God moves in a moment. Second point is God moves in his disciples. The Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In this moment, these disciples, by the way, have been following Jesus for three years. They have seen all types of miracles. They have seen the dead come back to life. Yeah, walking on water, they saw that firsthand. They know from what angle on the boat they watched Jesus walking on the water. Some of them were on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured and began to shine in in this celestial light, and uh, Moses and Elijah came down and had a little party with Jesus. I mean, they have seen some stuff, but now all of a sudden, in one divine moment, they are all experiencing God unlike ever before. Because everything that happened before was more or less what God was doing in front of their eyes. Now what's happening, God is moving not just out there, but in here. What God is doing, the great miracle of God here is that not just that the Spirit fills the room and that there's bells and whistles with it, but when the Spirit comes into the room, it's now going to live on the inside of us. Now, if you don't understand God, that might seem like no big deal, but God is holy. God is mighty. God is perfection. 
And I don't know if you need a reality check this morning, but, but I am not, and neither are you. But the grace of God is that he walks with us, and now he dwells in us. The disciples begin to do impossible things. What's amazing is God, God is doing something, and he's empowering the disciples to do something. The Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Utterance is a Greek word uh, that, that's like guttural, it's, it's a sound. Um, some say tongues is the muttering of a divine vibration. This kind of divides the church, by the way. Uh, some say that tongues is the ability to speak in a different known language. And uh, we're going to talk about some of that in a little bit, but let's just pause that for right now. What matters most is that the divine voice is no longer somewhere out there. It's now living on the inside of here. We have this prophetically in 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12. Do you remember Elijah was in a cave? And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The angel speaking to Elijah. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore through the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, they came the sound of a gentle whisper. And Elijah discovered God, not in the mighty rushing wind. This kind of looks like Acts 2. I mean, you got to see something here. Not just the mighty rushing wind, not just the, 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 the fire that's externally resting on the disciples, but a small, still voice comes and has a conversation with Elijah. God moves in a moment, and the miraculous and the powerful and the signs, because it is a sign, is amazing. But what's even more impactful is that God moves inside of the disciples. And friends, he still moves by the power of the Holy Spirit inside his disciples. See, what happened after this is that each one of them sell out their life completely and are willing to go even to death to go and preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before this, they think Jesus is going to come back and, you know, take over Rome. They have no idea. But after this, the Spirit is going to empower a lifestyle of ministry. Uh, I, I was talking to a pastor recently. He said, the Holy Spirit comes to sell us out. After Paul had that road to Damascus experience where the light fell and he was blinded. Ultimately, the Lord says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? After that divine moment, he captures and captivates the heart of Paul so that Paul is willing to go through anything that he must to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The movement of God in our lives, listen, friends, why that stuff happened in your life was not just for you to say, ooh, ah, wow. He was capturing your heart to let you know you are mine and I am yours. I'm revealing to you that I'm God and I'm sending you out in the power of the Holy Spirit. What you see now in front of your eyes lives on the inside of you and the Spirit of God moves in your life so that you would lay down your life and serve the Lord. Love the Lord. 
Know the Lord. He, he ultimately, he purchased you. And when I get down, and when I lose sight of where I'm going, I return to the joy of my salvation. And say that same God that moved in the living room for an eight-year-old little boy is still alive today. And if I'm not feeling him in my emotions and I'm not seeing him in my circumstances, he is still God. Because I cannot deny that the God that moved then is still moving now, even when I don't see it. This divine moment is conquering their hearts. I wonder, has Christ conquered your heart yet? I'm not asking, do you believe there's a God? Satan believes there's a God. I'm not asking if you believe Jesus is his son. Satan believes that Jesus is the son of God. I'm asking, has he conquered your heart? Has he bent your knee and the knee of your will to say, okay, God, you are God and I am not. Do you love him more than these? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you, do you love him more than your job, your status, your success, your comfort, your health? Do you, do you love him more than all of these? When, when the divine moments come into our life, they come to conquer our hearts. Jesus walked with them for three years. If you go to John 16, you'll see they had Jesus, but their hearts were not completely conquered yet. John 16, 4 through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. So Jesus is talking about, I'm about to leave, right? None of you ask me where are you going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus is, is sensing the room. Okay, I'm letting my disciples know I'm about to leave. And he's not going on a trip. He's going to the cross. He's going to die. And as he says this, their hearts become heavy with sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, that's Satan, is judged, is defeated. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will, speak on, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, listen to this, the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that you see happening in the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is coming through this great transaction, the power, the authority, the experience, everything that was in Jesus through the Holy Spirit is now being taken and placed in you.
The Spirit reveals who Christ is. And here's the amazing thing. The Spirit reveals Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus taught for three years and his teaching did not impart Christ-likeness. You would have thought after three years of teaching. I mean, best preacher ever, right? If Jesus couldn't preach it, uh, who can top Jesus? Three years, they still didn't understand the kingdom. Barely. They, they had like no understanding. They certainly could, still weren't living it because like half of them just rejected or betrayed or turned their back and ran from him. His teaching did not impart Christ-likeness to the disciples until the Spirit came and manifested that truth, with, truth within their hearts. Amen? You can listen to good preaching. You can study good scriptures. You can be an excellent theology, uh, theologian. But until the Spirit of God makes those truths alive in your heart and takes your will and conforms it to his will, it doesn't matter what you know about the Bible. Some of the biggest jerks in the world know a lot about the Bible. Amen, hallelujah. It's, are you filled with the Spirit of the living God that's showing Christ-likeness to the world? Are you filled with the life? The Bible says that in Christ there was light, and that light was the, that, uh, there was life, and that life was the light of men. In you, is there such a life that it shines out to the people around you? The Spirit of God moves in the disciples. It fills them with this voice, and all of a sudden in their worship, they begin to praise God. And as it's coming out, it starts to draw a crowd. So God not only moves in a moment, he moves in his disciples, and ultimately he moves in the city. When this happened, an international multitude began to gather around and witness. The multitude was bewildered at the Galileans speaking in their own native language. Some were amazed, some were perplexed, and some began to mock and say, well, they must be drunk. They've been drinking that new wine. That's the strong stuff for those of you Baptists who don't know. The new wine is the stronger stuff, so... They start to mock the disciples. God moves in a moment, and then he moves within the disciples, changing everything on the inside of them. And then suddenly, as what comes out of them is the spirit and the power of the living God, this this sound of, by the way, I, I heard growing up that, well, what they did is they began to preach and teach to everyone around them. I've taught that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they begin to declare the works of God, which means they were praising him. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant. What are we doing? We're declaring the goodness of God. They, they, they didn't go out with tracks and say, hey, by the way, do you know the three spiritual laws and have you walked the Roman road? I'm, this, we, oftentimes our culture tries to make things intellectual. It wasn't an intellectual ascent. What it was was this spirit of worship, a divine, mysterious moment. And in that moment, as they're praising and glorifying God, they're not aiming their attention at people and how to convince them intellectually how to believe in God. Pay attention, church. What they're doing is focusing their attention on the living God, saying, God, we host your presence here. They were hosting presence. All their focus was on the Lord. And as they did that, a sound came. As that sound came and began to fill, their voice became, they were praising God, but what was coming out of their mouth was not their own language. But it was the language of a multitude of many nations around them. This was not an effort of the intellect. I can't tell you how we're going to do this at Faith Memorial because you can't turn this into a to-do thing. 
All you can do is focus your attention, your affection, and your, your intensity on the worship of the living God. And in a moment, by his own will, by his own power, in the great mystery of the Holy Spirit, God moves. And as he moves, it doesn't just move uh, in the room, it moves in the disciples. But it doesn't just stop there. Listen, listen. God doesn't want to just move in your life. He wants to move through your life, into the world around you. God moves into the city. God's desire, listen, is to overflow and impact lost and broken people all around you. Is that your desire? I want to, my brothers, my sister, call you back into the mission for which you were called out of darkness. Paul knew that when he was called out of darkness, that he was being sent to go back into that same darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. We believe oftentimes that we're called out of darkness into this uh, eternal uh, church camp where we just experience and experience and soak and soak and receive and receive. God is actually moving in the lives of the disciples so that he might move through your lives into the city around you. How is the move of God in your life affecting the community of people around you? Is it affecting your marriage? Is it affecting your family? Is it affecting your neighbors? Is it affecting the strangers that you come into contact with? Is God's movement in your life affecting the world that he sent you to? God is on a mission. As the disciples open up their mouths to praise, the voice of God begins to flow through them and out into the city. I wonder, as you look within at all that you need and all that God's doing and how God's moving and how you need him to move, have you the faith to look outward and say, all around you, there is a desperate need for the God that is living in you? That your faith, your testimony, your suffering and your joy, your gifts and your talents, and everything that the Spirit of God has placed within you, God desires to use that for the world around you. Or are you just hoping for him to do more and more and more within you? Some in the crowd are bewildered. Some are amazed. Some are astounded. Some are perplexed. When this happened, I thought this was interesting. Notice how back then, what drew the crowds? Any of y'all that wants to grow a big church, you always want to know, well, what's going to draw these crowds? You know, how are we going to bring them in? In the middle of a prayer meeting, where nobody else was invited, by the way, they had no marketing team, no social media presence, no, no spotlights on the front saying, come this way, well, you can park right here and we'll give you a fresh cup of coffee. None of, none of that stuff. The mysterious divine presence of the living God began to fill that place, and it was so powerful that it, it, it sent out into the city, and that's what drew them in. Used to... The mysterious power and glory of the manifest presence of God is what the church used to draw people in. That's what brought people. The mysterious power and glory and presence of the living God. Now we try to draw a crowd by what do y'all like? What will you enjoy? Friends, you don't know what you like. 
You are born out of the spirit of the living God. Your, your new life is to seek after him, and he will give you what you desire. The church has to get back to, to putting the focus on what does the spirit of, the God, of our God desire, not what draws a crowd. Amen? And I just want to help you. I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to me. We are spoiled rotten. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if your spirit and your presence and your mentality is really prepared for a move of the Spirit of God. When you think that your main pursuit is what do I like? Because their pursuit was declaring the marvelous works of God. Amen? So I take this into my own life and say, rather than me coming and saying, what do I do to get myself back into God's presence? Or or how do I draw a crowd to like God more? What I'm going to do is just start to declare how good he's been to me. How awesome and wonderful and mighty he is. How I've seen him move in moments after moments after moments. And in that place of gratitude and praise, the Spirit of God shows up and moves. After that, people come. You don't have to go get them. They'll come to you. They come with curiosity and questions saying, what's happening? What's going on here? Now, some of them are going to be mad. They feel that faith rising up, and Romans 1 says that they suppress it. They say, well, uh, I guess they're drunk. It's not, just the, it's not just an explanation. It's a defensive explanation. And you're going to meet that with people who don't want what God is doing in your life to happen to them. That's fine. But some do. What on the world, what in the world is happening? Next, next week, Peter's going to explain it. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. That their hearts and their minds and their beings would believe that you are the God who still moves in moments. You, mean, you move in moments of power. You move in moments of, of mystery. When you come into the room, bodies can be healed. Chains of addiction are broken when you come into the room. When you come into the room, demonic forces flee. You are the God who moves in moments, but not just through the smoke and mirrors, not just through sounds and signs and wonders. You are the God who moves in your disciples to make Christ's likeness alive in us. It's not just the ability to speak a different language. It's the ability to start living and looking like Jesus. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the capacity to understand the gospel so that it heals our hearts and we can be love and light in a dark world. You're not just the God who moves in a moment and who moves in your people, but you're the God who moves in the city. Lord, I'm praying for Denver Harbor. I'm praying for Fifth Ward, East Side, inside the loop, outside the loop, praying for you to move in this city, in the city of Houston, Lord, in the region that we're in, in this state of Texas, across the country, and around the world. We need you to move, Lord. The church has turned to many other methods, and we have run right past your power. We need your power, Lord. We need your spirit, to move in our hearts, to move in our lives so that the world will come and say, what on earth is happening here? What is happening here? I want them to say that about us, Lord.
I want them to say that about our worship, that there's a sound, that there are sights, that there's power, that there's glory in the room when we worship. As we declare the works of God, that people will hear it in language that makes sense to them and that captures their heart. Pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you'd like to be notified for future episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review in your podcast app. Remember, if you're ever in the Houston area, we'd love to have you to come to Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Press.